We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa a Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Today, Bridget Griffin shared a video of her daily yoga routine, two self-help articles, and her new blog called Build Your Inner Bridge with Bridge. Girl, your sharing has turned into oversharing. No worries, Bridge. Geico has some info worth sharing with your seven blog followers, like how you could save money on your car insurance, update your policy, and report a claim just by visiting geico.com. How's that for building your inner bridge? Bridge, Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit on DraftKings. That'll get you a free contest entry today. 
All right, it is Monday, November 2nd, the year 2015. Nick Whalen here with Derek Van Riper. We're going to be breaking down week eight in the NFL. Uh, obviously, just one game remaining as we record on Monday morning. Colts at Panthers is the Monday night football game. Derek, Halloween weekend here in Madison. I didn't really do too much, kept it pretty low-key. Um, you know, went, went as my typical Tracy McGrady costume uh, for the eighth or ninth year in a row. Uh, received rave reviews on that, of course. Um, I understand you went to a... An EDM concert? Yeah, this of course. Weekend? Yeah, I, that's the kind of thing that I, I do on the weekend. I Apparently. Go to, I go to EDM shows. Uh, I went to a Zed concert on Friday night here in Madison, and um, my wife bought the tickets a while back. She thought it'd be a lot of fun. It actually was a pretty fun show. Uh, there were some things I really liked about it. A lot of cool jerseys being worn to this concert. I saw a Kobe Bryant high school jersey. I saw a Jim Craig from Miracle on Ice, the goalie. Saw one of those jerseys. I saw a Boogie jersey, which I just think is always cool. It's boogie like Kings? Yeah, just okay. Boogie Kings. Nothing special about right. it really, right. but just just like I just you don't usually see Boogie jerseys no. around Madison. Saw a Jackie Moon. I saw a Steph Curry Davidson, which was a Ooh. cool jersey. But I thought about Ooh. what he did to Wisconsin in the tournament a few years back, and I wondered like, how how confident this guy was that he wasn't going to get beat up at some point during his evening. I saw a Dikembe rainbow blue nuggets jersey which was just yeah you're, you're done it's over nick nick's dead so now i'm solo oh my god i saw a maurice cheeks jersey i saw a mike bibby grizzlies jersey and that, that's just i saw oh, i saw a dennis rodman pistons jersey oh. too i thought that was the best one by by the end and i had some bias growing up as a kid uh i watched the bad boys as like a seven-year-old which is a terrible influence it's kind of amazing that i, I don't just commit felonies on a regular basis but uh Great jersey scene overall. I was decked out in a blue Brazil jersey, you know, the Brazil men's national team jersey. Was that, was that a specific player or just general Brazil? Just, just a blank one, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't have, like, the Neymar in the back or the Pele or anything like that. I'm not... Uh, is, is that a thing that only really happens in, with soccer jerseys? Like, you never would see someone just wearing, like, a blank Packers jersey with no number. I guess baseball every now and then you'll see, but, like... You'll see it with baseball a little bit, but usually it's it's more player-based for, for the most part with most sports. Soccer does seem to be kind of balanced. I mean... Players transfer and move around quite a bit, and I think the other factor with a lot of soccer jerseys, not national team jerseys, of course, but for club jerseys is that you get the sponsors on the front. The sponsors change almost on a yearly basis for some clubs, so then your jersey goes out of date immediately. And sometimes the colors and, and the look of the jerseys change from year to year, too, uh, but I think that's, that's part of it. Some people just want to avoid having to replace their jersey on an annual basis. So a uh, really interesting show. I mean, the music, I, I'm not all EDM all the time guy or anything like that but I appreciate different types of music and it was it was a good show I mean the the weirdest thing about it I have never been to a place where so many 18 to 21 year olds were on Molly like I've never been anywhere in my life even remotely close to that I mean there are people that just they were just gone like they they'd walk into you because they thought you were three feet to one side like and they weren't trying to be rude they just didn't know where you actually were because they were hallucinating mm. so much so <clears throat> Yeah, kind of a, a different experience for me, just kind of watching that as a, a sober, older gentleman in, in the crowd. But a good show. Zed, a very successful DJ in the EDM world, and certainly uh, seems well-deserved. Coolest thing he did, in my opinion, is he had some uh, Legend of Zelda music from the original Nintendo, which I know it, it predates, predates you a bit, but he had that kind of remixed in the middle of the show. I thought that was actually the highlight musically. And he had, he had some pretty cool visual stuff he was doing with the lights and the video board behind him. So a good experience all, all, all together. Is this like a mosh pit type of scene? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've never hmm. been to an EDM 
concert at all. I don't really listen to EDM. So, like, I mean, you're not, like, sitting down during this, oh, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. You're standing. Were you, were you just, like, dripping sweat, like, shirt off, like, whipping around your head type of thing? I wasn't dancing hard enough <clears throat> to sweat quite that much, but I was standing next to a guy that was probably three or four inches taller than me, and he kind of looked like a scaled-down version of Gronk, slightly scaled-down okay. version. I wouldn't be, like, shocked if it actually was Gronk. I thought it was at first. And I'm not convinced that it wasn't just yet because the Patriots were done right. for the week because they played the Thursday game. And and this guy was really into the music. Didn't seem to be drugged out at all, which made me convinced that it's it little, wasn't. That's a little suspicious. That wasn't Gronk. Like that, that's why I thought it wasn't Gronk. Because I think if Gronk was there, he'd be pulling like the Wes Welker at the Kentucky Derby. I actually saw a quote from Gronk, and you know, take it with a grain of salt maybe, but he's, he basically said he doesn't do – He's not into party drugs. I think this quote was something along the lines of, if you have to use drugs to party, that means you're not drinking hard enough. Wow. Oh, well, maybe, so. maybe it was Gronk then. But nevertheless, I was just trying not to get elbowed in the face by this guy because he was, he was going at it hard. I don't think it's like a mosh pit. I think mosh pits, people are like intentionally running into each other, jumping into each other. Everybody kind of does the same thing. It's a lot of fists up in the air, jumping up and down. Everyone kind of stays in like a little little bubble of their own personal space, and it works out. And it's just... You know, it was a lot of fun. It was something different. Probably won't do it again for a while, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn down tickets to go see him at some point in the future. All right, fair enough. Yeah, like I said, I had pretty low-key Halloween. Obviously, a lot going on in Madison. Um, they had State Street all blocked off. That was really no fun. Kind did, of a, did you go to that at all? No. You didn't even bother? I went downtown. I didn't. No, I, I mean, you have to buy tickets to get onto State Street. and then it's like 7 bar, bucks, isn't it? It's like 15 bucks. 15 Yeah. So yeah, I mean, double. I heard, I heard only two arrests where they actually had to bring people to jail, and and one yeah, one girl broke her leg on the curb or something. Yeah, that, I mean that sounds about right. I don't know. They the cops. I think I, I read in the paper yesterday that they only had nine arrests for the whole weekend, which that's a success. Good. Yeah, but I mean, I went, I went downtown W Bar just off State Street. You know, same type of feel, but you don't have to pay to get on, and you know, it's the bars on Street Street are super packed and just kind of an odd crowd on Halloween. I'm not really a big Halloween guy, so. Hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised you're not more of a Halloween guy. To be, really? to be honest, yeah, it seems like you'd get into that. I don't, I don't really know why. I just feel no, like you'd, I've you'd always just been kind of toss on a jersey. You know, well, maybe you're an EDM guy. and You don't know. No, you should, no, you should check that so. out. I don't think so. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I'll just. You want me to just listen to it for like two straight days and just see? It's kind of like full on immersion. Well, I think you should drink a case of hams while you do it, just to see what happens when you're under that's an influence a, that's an interesting of some kind. juxtaposition i feel like there's probably not a lot of crossover between like the hams crowd and the edm crowd probably it's probably never been done you'd probably be making some kind of history if, if you pulled that off but I, I went to a concert on thursday night too it was the Houndmouth concert Jeez. in milwaukee they were when, playing when are, you, when are you not going to concerts i'm at concerts all the time every I, night of the week every single night of the week i will go any anywhere anytime to see a concert i thought Houndmouth was awesome a totally different style of music it's like an Alt-rock uh, band that has some, I don't know, maybe some bluegrass, some little bit of country influence, but not really, not to the point people would be like, oh, this is boring music. More of an upbeat, like, rock sound than that, but you can just kind of hear, like, they're from southern Indiana, so they've just got different roots, I guess you'd say, and that was one of the better shows I've been to in a long time, so I would highly recommend checking out Houndmouth if you're, if you're not a fan of the EDM. Gotcha. All right, well, before we get into the Week 8 recaps in the NFL, just a reminder, the Rotowire uh, fantasy football podcast as well as all of our other podcasts are available on itunes they're available on stitcher you can download uh, rate and review on both of those platforms you can also do that on the rotowire website if you just go to rotowire.com slash podcast you'll be able to download mp3 files directly from there 
So we'll start in London, the final London game of the year. Thank God I'm kind of sick of these these super early starts. I know our own Mike Doria, who's in charge of most of our NFL news on Sundays, uh, is probably sick of waking up at 5 a.m. to have to get into the office to cover pregame news at the, the 8.30 a.m. Uh, local time start for us here. <laughs> what, what is that? Is he working like 17-hour <clears throat> shifts on Sundays? At 27, I was talking to him last week on Wednesday. He's, he said he sets his alarm for 5 o'clock for these London games. Hey, uh, I got to get up at 5 and be here until like 10, so hopefully yeah. I can go to Tornado Room a and get a steak sandwich on the way home. <laughs> a lot of coffee in the Mike Doria. Um, I, I think Mike Doria's Sunday London diet, but another terrible game. We keep sending these these bad teams over to London, and I think I don't know what kind of results the NFL is looking for. But Chiefs forty five, Detroit Lions ten. KC was up twenty four to three at the half. This one was pretty much decided midway through the second quarter. They outrushed Detroit two hundred and six yards to eighty one yards. I don't know what's going on with the Lions. I mean, this is I think at this point they're officially a bottom three or four team for sure in the league. I think we you know we've talked about. You look at the talent at the skill positions that this team has, and you'd like to think they're maybe a notch above Tennessee, Jacksonville, Houston, basically the entire AFC South. But I don't know. I mean, you lose a game to what's a, a pretty depleted and really not a very good Kansas City team in this fashion. Uh, not a lot of positive to take away. Detroit got a field goal on its first drive, and then the next eight drives were punt, punt, interception, interception, punt, uh, giving up the ball on downs on which – Matthew Stafford was sacked when they went for it on fourth down, and then another punt. 8.9 QBR for Matthew Stafford in this one. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, six sacks, two picks, as you mentioned, just an awful day for him. Looking for silver linings here. This was the There's offensive no coordinator thing. debut of Jim Bob Cooter. Um, so 10 points from the offense, not a good look there for uh, Jim Bob or JBC or Mr. Cooter or whatever his preferred. Coots. Coots, is that what we're going with? <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least Kelvin Johnson was targeted ten times. Like it, the, the distribution of targets finally made sense. And I don't know if that's JVC, if that's Coots, or if that's actually just randomness. But it seems like that is trending in the right direction. Unfortunately, Kelvin Johnson got hurt in this game, left an ankle injury late. So we'll see if he's going to miss any time as we move towards Week Nine. Uh, Eric Ebron was kind of a disappointment in this one. Uh, we saw Golden Tate catch six balls for 59 yards on seven targets. Maybe a slight upswing in his value. How about Amir Abdullah getting one carry? Joyke Bell getting seven for 56 yards. For the first time all season, Joyke Bell showing some signs of life. I think he was averaging like two yards a carry prior to this game. I mean, the Lions are a disaster right now. They're, they're going to be a four-win team at best if they can you know, go three and five or what's left of their schedule, and I think that might even be something of a stretch. So most of the news here is with the Chiefs. I mean, Travis Kelsey scores, Macklin scores coming off the concussion. Sharkandrick West, the second week in a row, looks like a guy that if you spent all your fab on to get, he's going to be productive the rest of the way. 20 carries to Niall Davis's four, 97 yards in the ground, and a TD. Four catches for 25 yards and six targets. Niall Davis, nowhere to be seen as a pass catcher. And that's in a blowout game, too. So Sharkandrick West maybe is a top 12 top 15 running back right now yeah I think he's kind of in that middle tier of guys that seems to fluctuate every single week you know when you know your Lamar Millers your Carlos Hydes when he's healthy those type of guys that you know are capable of going off for a 100 yard performance but also might give you a 37 yard performance 
Um, but, I mean, it's important to remember, you look at the result of this game. Obviously, KC, 32 rushes for 206 yards. They were up most of the game trying to kill the clock in the second half. Detroit, just 14 rushes. Uh, I'd be interested to see how many of those came in the second half just because, obviously, they were they were down early in this one. Um, so maybe I wouldn't read too far into the, the Mir Abdullah, just one carry for three yards. Certainly not encouraging, but maybe not a sign that, that he's completely out of the rotation just because uh, of the lopsidedness of this game. We did see the big O come in uh, on Detroit's final possession. Dan Orvlovsky, one, uh, two pass attempts, I should say, one completion for 10 yards. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Matthew Stafford's job obviously is not in danger, but they need to do some serious reevaluating, right? Yeah, I wonder if Matthew Stafford is the quarterback of the Lions next year. I mean, the salary cap implications of, of releasing him may be such that they can't really get away from him at this point, but I could imagine Matthew Stafford playing for Houston next year and, and the Texans thinking it's an upgrade, but is he really any better than Brian Hoyer right now? Uh, the numbers say probably not. No, I mean, it, you, you look at what he has – you know, what he has around him, and you'd like to think that other quarterbacks could probably do better. You know, when you have two very strong receiving options, a good tight end, uh, some, you know, some skills, some shiftiness in that backfield, it's, it's a tough situation, you know, because Matthew Stafford hasn't been bad. You know, he's the number one overall pick. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't really been great either. And I think at some point, you know, if you're the Lions, like, how long do you play this out? This is kind of, you know what Matthew Stafford is at this point, right? If you're If you're going to be a really good quarterback or a great quarterback in this league, you don't have seasons where you just are really terrible for a 16-game sample. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair point. But I think the the big concern I have right now, if I'm a Lions fan, aside from the 1-7 and seven record, is that the offensive line is a dumpster fire covered in mayonnaise that's been left out in the sun to burn. Like, it's it's horrible offensive line. And yeah, It's a gross image. It, it, you can smell like, it, just too. Just a mayonnaise-covered dumpster. It, it, like, it, it, does it offend your, your – like, when you see it in your mind, does it offend you more visually or – in, in what it would smell like. Like, I mean, that's the, that's the real question with that one. But the offensive line is so bad that I don't really see any reason to be optimistic about Stafford for the rest of this season. Like, I, I think they have to retool through the draft, through free agency, whatever it might be, and then maybe he can at least get back to being a league-average type quarterback because he's played at a level below that so far this year. Yeah, I... I, I... The Lions are a mess. They're kind of an unmitigated mess at this point. I think they'll probably play this out. And, you know, like you said, the, the salary camp implications do make this a very bit, you know, a difficult decision, I guess. And, you know, I guess they'll, maybe they'll see what they can get on the trade market. But, you know, when you sign someone to a major deal like that, you're kind of locked in. And, you know, if, if this is the product that they're going to get, then that's maybe what the situation is going to be for a couple more years. Tampa Bay, 23, Atlanta, 20. Back-to-back bad losses for the Falcons in division. They lose to New Orleans uh, on a short week on Thursday in Week 7. Now they fall to Jameis Winston uh, in Week 8. Two straight losses, like we said, for Atlanta. They're at San Francisco next week. Then they finally go into their bye. Tampa Bay was up 20-3 to in this one before Atlanta made a game of it late. Um, you know, Tampa Bay scored first in overtime, got a field goal. Atlanta really had no response and, and you know, struck out pretty quickly, uh, giving it up on downs. Matt Ryan, solid game yardage-wise, 37 of 45, 397 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Devontae Freeman, 88 yards rushing. Jameis Winston, 177 yards on 29 attempts, a pass touchdown and a rush touchdown. Biggest thing for him is he didn't turn it over. Yeah, that's huge, really. I mean, only sacked twice as well. I think that's kind of an important takeaway. I think when the Bucks are going to be successful, 
it's going to be by having balance offensively. Winston threw it 29 times. They ran it 32 times. 29 of those were actually like handoffs. Three were Winston runs of his own. He did find the end zone, too, as a runner. So turned into an okay sort of day offensively for Jameis Winston. But again, game managing rather than taking over. Cameron Brait scored a TD in this one. Never heard of Cameron Brait before that happened. Mike Evans had a disappointing day, 3 for 48 on 9 targets. He's had a handful of games this year where Winston's tried to go his way a lot and the per-target numbers have been just awful. Uh, No Vincent Jackson there. I scrambled in one league. Deontay Dye was in my lineup in the stake league. He caught one ball for 4 yards on 3 targets. So it was a a bad week for me in the stake league with a bunch of guys hurt and on bye. Uh, On the Atlanta side, Offensively, it looks pretty good at first glance, right? You get 37 to 45 for 397 from Matt Ryan. Uh, that's that's great. Two TDs, a pick. Devontae Freeman getting over four yards a carry, catching six passes for 43 yards. Good yardage day for him. Tammy goes over 100 yards, 10 catches for 103 and a score. Julio had 12 for 162 and a TD. I think Julio had like five for 95 in the first quarter, too. He was productive right away. But no Leonard Hankerson. So I thought, okay, Roddy White's going to have a good day. Nope, two for 24, three targets. Roddy White is just dead at this point. Like, he is just done. Like, I can't believe he fell off as quickly as he did because I thought in full-point PPR leagues especially, there'd still be some value there this year with Julio drawing so much coverage. Yeah, we've been waiting on Roddy White to kind of come alive after that really, really sluggish start. Uh, And we put up a couple of goose eggs. But, yeah, he really hasn't. Even, like you say, even without Hankerson, He's still just kind of an afterthought in that passing game. But if you look at the you know the statistical breakdown between these two teams, Atlanta has the advantage in just about every category. They ran more plays, 200 yards more total offense, same number of drives. You know they outpassed Tampa Bay by over 200 yards. Uh, very similar rushing totals. Uh, but when you look at the penalties, Atlanta penalized 11 times for 124 yards, and and then those four turnovers were huge. Three lost fumbles. And then the one Matt Ryan interception, where obviously the difference in this game, you know, you take away one of those turnovers, Atlanta probably wins without much drama. But you know, when you turn the ball over that many times, it's tough to get a win. I don't know. I don't know what to think about this Atlanta team. There's a couple teams after this week that I'm starting to reevaluate. We'll get to Green Bay uh, at the end as we kind of go in chronological order here. But two straight losses to the two bad teams in that NFC South division for Atlanta. I mean, they're starting to creep into the can't trust them in pick them on a week-to-week basis group they're kind of like the Giants where I week-to-week now I'm just not sure who they are and I don't know what to expect I mean I figured at home against Tampa that'd be a layup that'd be the kind of game in a pick pool you're putting up well you would quite think, a few confidence then, points on got, right exactly a couple weeks ago Atlanta only beats Tennessee 10 to 7 and it, they haven't really looked great since like week three or four when that offense was really humming ever since then it's just it's been pretty average yeah it, it really has I mean Jacob Tammy though is, is he Top 10 tight end right now. Seems like he's been getting a little more involved here over the last few weeks. And we saw, even with Hankerson down, no Roddy White. Someone has to be that next man up as far as the number two option in the passing game for Matt Ryan. I mean, maybe Tammy is that guy. Yeah, I mean, I'd, maybe not a guy you're ready to trust a ton week to week. But you know, the targets have been there. He's had at least five targets each of his last four games. Double-digit targets in two of those games. So you could certainly do worse You know, if you have an injury or you have a couple guys on by and taking a flyer on Tammy for a week. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this this Atlanta team is in that zone. Like I said, it's just it's tough to figure out where they're going right now. And you know, if they're able to beat San Francisco and go into the bye and, and get everybody healthy, maybe things look a little bit better. But two tough losses back-to-back. Arizona, 34, Cleveland, 20. I think this was kind of the redemption game uh, that, that we expected from Arizona. Not a very good Cleveland team. 
They did start pretty slowly, though, the Cardinals. Fell behind 20-7, to finished the game with 27 unanswered points. Carson Palmer, four touchdowns, 374 yards. Fitzgerald, Floyd, Troy Nicholas got into the end zone. Nicholas got in twice. John Brown was active, but was only an emergency option. Didn't really play uh, much of a role in this game at all. But this is about the result we expected from from, uh, Arizona, right? Yeah, really tough, though, to see Brown active prior to the game if you're a Brown owner and thinking, okay, well, I'm going to use him. Or maybe if you're a Michael Floyd owner and you say, well, okay, John Brown's active, so the targets may not be there. I'm going to go ahead and stay away from Floyd. I mean, that's just a, a really unfortunate development there, but maybe it just speaks to the lack of depth the Cardinals had available on their roster at receiver. Josh McCowan started off pretty well in this one. They kind of fell apart in the second half, but three TDs, 18 of 34 for 211 yards. Chris Johnson is getting volume right now for the Cardinals. 30 carries, 109 yards. Brown still can't run it. Duke Johnson's catching a couple passes, contributing that way. Otherwise, not much there. And then Gary Barnage, still doing Gary Barnage things, 7 for 53 and a touchdown. It really seems like he's cemented himself as a guy that is, is a legitimate toss-up you know, with Travis Kelsey. Like, Which one do you prefer the rest of the way? I think it's, it's a legitimate 50-50 at this point. I was going to say like a legitimate toss-up with like Tony Gonzalez as who's the greatest tight end of all time. Or, or Kellen Winslow Sr. Kellen Winslow. I mean, Gronk obviously is probably in that conversation someday. I think at this point right now, we're, we're in the, the Gronk slash Barnage kind of age of tight ends where you'll look back in 20 years and you'll think, man, what, man, we are so blessed to be able to watch a guy like Gary Barnage go out and do what he does on a weekly basis. But, I mean, all joking aside, he's, he's been ridiculous. Like, I mean, if you, if you took a flyer on Gary Barnage late in the draft, like, that has been the absolute lottery ticket this season. Right? Or like an early season pickup at tight end yeah. and you're waiting for Antonio Gates to come back from suspension. I don't so think we even two, mentioned his name on this podcast or in the office or anywhere before, like, week two. No, I mean, I covered the Panthers, like, five years ago for the site, and at the time he was a rookie out of Louisville, and it looked like he could be a useful player someday, but there was no real path for him to contribute in Carolina. kind of forgot about him. Figured in Cleveland he'd just be there as an extra piece, would catch 25 or 30 balls, and that'd be that. But he's been legitimately elite at his position. Better name for a tight end, though, Rob Gronkowski or Gary Barnage? Like, I feel like Gary Barnage is almost a flawless name for a, t- for a, for a tight end. Does he have a nickname yet? The Barn? G-Barn? The Barn? The Nidge? We need that. Let us know on Twitter, at Waylon, where the L is uh, number one on, on, your, uh, on your keypad, and uh, at Derek Van Riper. So let us know if you have a nickname for Gary Barnage. I'd love to. I don't watch the Browns feeds. Like I don't watch. Like I watched highlights of the Browns, but I have not. Actually, Thursday night, I'm gonna get my chance. Maybe we'll find out from the Thursday night crew. Maybe Phil Sims will give us a nickname for Gary Barnage. Oh, what a treat that would be. I mean, we'll let we'll let the nickname machine Phil Sims handle this one, I guess. Um, but I mean, if overall better name at tight end, I think it's Gronkowski by a hair. If you could like mix the two, it's like. Gary Gronkowski, I think then, I mean, that's like an ideal, like, 70s middle linebacker name slash tight end. I feel like that's Gronk's father's name, but maybe it isn't. It very well could be. <laughs> Nevertheless, the Browns, everyone's going to get a good look at them just in a couple days, so mm-hmm. look forward to that. Yeah, are the, the games are shifting now only to NFL Network, right? I don't Crap. think they're, they're no longer being simulcast on CBS, the Thursday night games. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that starts this week. I, I thought it started this past week. Um, but obviously that was not the case. But yeah, I'm pretty sure beginning with this this Cleveland game in Week Nine, um, if you're not an NFL Network subscriber, you have to resort to the streams. Uh, anything but the streams. <laughs> San Francisco six, St. Louis twenty seven. Uh, just kind of confirming what we already know. 
San Francisco is not good. St. Louis is good at beating up uh, on bad teams, although they do have a couple impressive wins over Seattle and Arizona as well. Still not really sure what to think about the St. Louis Rams team at all. I mean, this is a dominating victory. They didn't really get much from Nick Foles. Pretty run-heavy game plan between uh, Gurley with 20 carries, Trey Mason with 15 carries, just kind of able to run out the clock in the second half. But, I mean, Todd Gurley is a legitimate top-five running back in this league right now, right? Is he going first overall in some drafts next year based on what you've seen so far? I don't far? know. Well, I mean, you're, you're going to look at – Obviously, we'll get to Le'Veon Bell, who went down uh, with an injury. Looks like he might miss extended time. You know, you're, we're gonna have to evaluate some of these guys, you know, in the off season. But I think he's locked in right now as as like you know, first or at the absolute latest, like high second round running back. I think he's going first round universally. I mean, I I don't think he falls past like five overall in most drafts, unless it's the mm. full point PPR and people are going after some receivers early to, to rack up the catches, right, but. Yeah. But Gurley, you think about the running back and how the position keeps changing and how few workhorses there are. St. Louis isn't going to become this team that starts throwing it a lot more over one offseason. That's just not going to happen philosophically. I mean, they have to change a quarterback. They have to add receivers. I don't think they're going to do that. Trey Mason even got a lot of work in this one. 15 carries for 46 yards. I mean, San Francisco is a complete disaster right now. Tavon Austin scored again. Every week when I watch Rams stats scroll by, I always look to see if Todd Gurley has rushed for more yards than Nick Foles has thrown for in a particular game, and I feel like that's a 50-50 prop bet every single week. Yeah, I mean, he got close this week with under 60-yard difference, which you know, obviously doesn't happen too much. A nice 42.9 QBR for our, our good friend Nick Foles. Did have one touchdown uh, to Tavon Austin in this one. Austin's been kind of a low-key, uh, you know, hit or miss, I guess, type of, type of fantasy producer. Two touchdowns this week, one on the ground, one through the air. He's been a little bit more productive on the ground, it seems, this season. They're kind of using him in you know, jet sweep type of packages. They'll line him up in the backfield every now and then. It's just kind of a change of pace. But the St. Louis team has a lot of pieces. You know, that Obviously, a very exciting young running back in Gurley. Even Trey Mason is a change of pace guy. He's a lot of fun. Um, I think they could add some, some talent at the receiver position for sure. But I think they're at least building something in the right direction. Yeah, if they were to go out in the first round of the draft going into 2016 and add another receiver, I mean, Austin's more of a a utility kind of guy right. on offense. He's not. He's, he can't be your number one, or really probably maybe not your number two receiver. No, but he's a good weapon to have. I mean, maybe he's kind of evolving into, I don't know, what people expected Percy Harvin to be. Harvin flashed the ability for brief periods of time earlier in his career, especially with Minnesota, but at the same time, he just didn't have that longevity. His career's kind of in question right now, too, just because of all the injuries he's been dealing with. Uh, so Tavon Austin is a nice player, but not necessarily the guy that you want to lean on for 10 or 12 targets per game. If the Rams can find a player like that, you know, a kingmaker receiver, maybe the kind of guy that makes Nick Foles look more passable, no pun intended, at, at the quarterback position. Uh, Foles is awful. Like I, I, I didn't like it coming out of Arizona. I couldn't believe he had the year he had two years ago in Philadelphia. That just that blew my mind, and I think it's it's ruined it's ruined my ability to properly analyze Chip Kelly and the Eagles. Like Nick Foles is the reason why I get tricked by the Eagles on a regular basis. Yeah, I would looking at this from the perspective of the Eagles, who obviously traded Foles for Bradford. Did anybody win this deal? No, everybody loses. Everybody in this lost. Trade. Like. I don't think would the Eagles be better any better or worse off with Foles or would the Rams be any better or worse off with Bradford? Nope, it would look exactly the same. I think so too. I think it'd be pretty close. Looking at this from San Francisco's point of view, Kaepernick twenty of forty one, one hundred sixty two yards. That's a cool twenty two point two QBR. What is it going to take at this point for Blaine Gabbert to be unleashed? 
I think we're going to see it. I think it's coming. I think it might be. At what point? I mean, obviously Kaepernick has the, you know, the monetary investment behind him, and and you know, San Francisco would kind of have to eat that if they're benching him at any point. But I mean, just wildly, wildly ineffective. Obviously, this is a good St. Louis defense, but. I mean, I, I don't know what, what more Kaepernick can do at, at this point. He did have a nice performance against Baltimore. They got that win two weeks ago, 340 yards, a couple touchdowns. It looked like he, I don't want to say turn the corner, but he was at least you know riding the ship briefly. And now back-to-back weeks of under 200 yards, well under 200 yards in both weeks, uh, and obviously two blowout losses in which San Francisco failed to get in the end zone both games. Looking here at the Colin Kaepernick contract, I mean, his contract was a six-year, $114 million deal. Included a $12.3 million signing bonus, $61 million guaranteed, which is just insane. I mean, what, what can they do? How much of this is the fault of the talent around him? Some. How much of this is the fault of the coaching with Jim Tomasula? I mean, Thomas Sulo seems like the first coach to get canned at the end of the year. I don't, I don't think they have any reason to dump him midseason. They're not going anywhere. Right. And this is a guy that's getting his first look as an NFL head coach. But what a difference a year makes. I mean, the value of Jim Harbaugh, as we've seen at, at Michigan, the season the Wolverines are having, it's huge. Like that, yeah. it, it, I, I know they lost guys defensively to retirement. That was a big factor. But the offense, I thought if nothing else – this would be the year we finally saw volume in the passing game from Colin Kaepernick, and it just hasn't been there. I know he didn't have Anquan Bolden in this one, but that shouldn't make him right. completely that, that, inept. Like the fact that we're even saying that is like, oh, he didn't have like mid-30-year-old uh, Anquan Bolden. I don't, the weapons around him aren't ideal at this point. Like you said, the, de- the losses on defense are big, but you know, Kaepernick doesn't play defense. The volume passing has been there on and off. I mean, 46 attempts in Week 2 against Pittsburgh. 41 attempts this past week the, the efficiency just hasn't been there you know they're putting the ball in his hands and some of the throws that are coming off of that right arm are just ducks the cap hit on Colin Kaepernick is pun intended like it <laughs> yes definitely pun intended uh, almost 17 million next year and then 19 million in 2017 almost 20 million in 2018 21 million in 2019 so you're saying it just keeps getting easier and easier for San Francisco they're in a horrible spot right now unless they can find a way to, po- to, to they can find a way to get a coach again that kind of fits his skill set to build an offense that works for him which i think is possible i still think there there are the makings of a useful quarterback there but he looks just gone sometimes like just just checked out confused, lost. I don't know what combination of those things it is some weeks. I'm shocked he looks this bad because I thought he actually would be at least league average and possibly a lot better from a fantasy standpoint. I thought he had a chance to be a top 10 quarterback this year with the increased volume of pass attempts. I didn't go out everywhere and draft him all over the place, but at the same time, I'm surprised he's been this bad. Yeah, and he was at least giving you some rushing yards. First five weeks of the season, he was over 20 yards, which is a small bonus. Um, but you know, a lot of quarterbacks don't get there. Over 40 yards in four of those five games. Um, that's pretty much come to a standstill. In mean, the last four games, 23 yards, 10 yards, 0 yards, 28 yards. Not really breaking off long runs. Only has one rushing touchdown on the year. So, yeah, not a lot of positives uh, surrounding Colin Kaepernick as we reach near the midpoint of the season. No Carlos Hyde in this one for San Francisco. Obviously, that's a big blow, and they weren't really able to get anything going on the ground, just 38 yards as a team. Mike Davis went off for four yards on 10 carries. Toby Gerhardt-esque. I started Mike Davis in the stake league this Why? week. Why? 
I had to pick up a running back. Is it like a 45-team league? It's a 16-team league. I had Murray and Ryan Matthews both on bye. I would have used them both. Rawls I playing hope. behind Lynch. James Starks coming off the hip injury. Didn't think there was much to use there. So I picked up Mike Davis and actually started him because I thought, well, Carlos hides out. If he gets 10, 15 carries, maybe he gets me 50 or 60 yards. Man, nope. you, missed, you missed out on Kendall Gaskins, who really lit the St. Louis defense on fire for six yards on five carries. Better receiver, too. Tripled Mike Davis's per carry average. Same number of looks in the passing game. Kendall Gaskins, 17 yards. Mike Davis, 14. I am living my life wrong. No doubt about that. Well, I had to start the <laughs> Dexter McCluster... Um, who's my other running back? The fact I, I can't even remember. You can't even remember. Name. It was Chris Polk. Okay. Chris Polk, Dexter McCluster. Backfield you you, you couldn't remember. I was going to say, are you sure you weren't at the Zed concert? No, 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 no. Um, but I mean, two weeks ago, I had, or the past two weeks previous, I started Toby Gerhardt because Why? Yeldon, Yeldon Why? was hurt. Why would you do weeks. that? I had to. And Denard I, though, man, come on. Nah, I don't, I don't trust Denard. Chris Polk gave me 2.7 points, so. I think I came out on top. Huge. New York Giants, 49. New Orleans Saints, 52. Um, the highest scoring game of the season. I think that goes without saying. Um, just not a lot of defense in this one at all. Both Breeze and Manning had huge, huge fantasy days. Um, seven touchdowns for Drew Breeze. Six touchdowns for Eli Manning. No picks for Manning. We just, uh, how? Saints defense is pretty bad. Were, were these teams playing against seven-man defenses? I don't think so. I don't think <laughs> they were. were. There were eleven guys on the field for both teams for this entire. Game. That's that is surprising. Very bizarre game. It went back and forth, obviously as indicated by the final score. Um, Tremaine McBride, sixty-three yard fumble return with seven minutes left in the game. That put the Giants up by a touchdown after they had been trailing for most of the game. They were down two touchdowns in the third quarter. New Orleans reels off a seven-minute drive, fourteen plays. They get the game-tying touchdown to C.J. Spiller with thirty-six seconds left. Giants quickly go three and out. Pretty bad clock management. I think they thought they were going to try to move down the field quickly. They tried a couple deep shots, didn't get anything. And then they punt the ball, and New Orleans fumbles on the punt. They recover their own punt, but in the, or they recover their own fumble, I should say. In the process of that, while the ball's loose, the punter, Brad Wing, attempts to make a tackle. Blatant face mask. I, th- I believe it was on Willie Sneed. Uh, so that moved the ball, and New Orleans would have had it at the 47. That moved it all the way up to the Giants' 32 and you know they were able to kind of milk the clock a little bit, get it centered up, and, and let Kai Forbath knock through a 50-yarder for the win. Didn't Brad Wing also get a taunting penalty against Florida during his four-year run at LSU? Well, it was on the, it was on the fake field goal. I think they flipped behind his head, and he he ran it in down the or he ran it in down the sideline for a <laughs> touchdown, and he started celebrating like 10 yards out from the from the end zone and he did he definitely did it was a, that was a key penalty i believe at the time brad wing is probably the most famous sec punter of the last 20 years didn't he was it him that gotten i wouldn't say a dust up but some wasn't he, there's like an incident in like week one or two or didn't he shove like des bryant on the sideline that's awesome punters shoving des bryant seems like a great idea yeah i don't I may, it might not have been him i could be wrong i, I thought it was him but yeah, either way, a very interesting way for that one to go down. It looked like they were headed straight for overtime, and who knows what the final score would have ended up there. But, uh, yeah, tough, a tough way to lose, and, and all of a sudden New Orleans is right in the thick of it again. Uh, two straight wins off of, uh, or against, I should say, what we thought were pretty good teams in Atlanta and the Giants. Odell Beckham had a huge game in this one, had a touchdown early. He ended up finishing with eight catches, 130 yards, three touchdowns. Dwayne Harris had two receiving touchdowns. Ben Watson, nine catches and a touchdown. Colston got over 100 yards and a touchdown. 
Brandon Cooks, Willie Sneed each had two touchdowns. The yardage totals weren't really there for them, but obviously uh, with those two scores, they were able to make up for that. Uh, just an exciting game for sure, but I, I don't think this is the result I really expected. No, I mean, uh, I, I thought this would be like 27-24, so they kind of yeah. doubled the expectations there. 13 combined passing TDs between Manning yeah. and Breeze. I don't think I've ever seen that before. That seems like it would be an NFL record, at least for... This, is, this seems like a Texas Tech, like, Houston game. Tech, Tech, Texas Tech Baylor. Yeah. Something along those lines. Holy cow. I mean, Benjamin Watson, how does he do that? Like, you, you just wish to contain him. That's as much as you can do with Watson. Even Marcus yeah. Colston got in on this one. Eight for 114 and a score on nine targets. Now people are going to race to the waiver wire, pick up Colston in their 12-team leagues, and next week he's going to catch four balls for 45 yards. Yeah, I, these teams are maybe right atop the list of teams you can't trust when you're looking at picking games or just week-to-week production. Like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if the Saints beat Carolina at home in a couple weeks. But I would also not be shocked if they got beat forty to seven by Carolina. You know, they're just they're all over the board. The Giants are the same way. Um, just really teams you you can't trust on a week to week basis. I agree with you. I can see the Saints like winning a tough game on the road. You wouldn't expect them to win, and then coming back home and then doing what Atlanta did this week and losing to Tampa yeah. Bay. Like that's that seems like something the Saints are capable of right now. Yeah, absolutely. Minnesota twenty three, Chicago twenty. Stephon Diggs continues to do Stephon Diggs things. 40-yard touchdown catch. He has touchdowns in back-to-back games. Really been productive each of the last four weeks. Uh, and, and that touchdown, a 40-yarder, came with 149 left. That tied the game. Chicago was really in control for most of this one. Bears get the ball back, like I said, just under two minutes left. Promptly go three and out. Minnesota marches down the field. Blair Walsh, 36-yard game-winning field goal. And that was that. Another very Teddy Bridgewater line, 17 of 30, 187 yards, one touchdown, one pick, just kind of game-managing. Um, uh, I don't. This Minnesota team too. We, we we just talked about teams you can't trust. I don't know if I'm quite ready to trust them, but all of a sudden they're sitting at five and two. If you played them on a neutral field, Vikings Saints, I think I would pick the Vikings. I think yeah, they're playing in so New too. Orleans. I, I take New Orleans, and if it's in Minnesota, it's I don't even know if it's that much of a home field advantage for them right now in Minnesota. But I think they're actually legit. I think they're actually a good team. They've got a good chance to make the playoffs. I mean, they they seem pretty balanced. Yeah. Stephon Diggs is the number one receiver they haven't had in quite a while and Peterson's right. running pretty well five yards a carry in this one Bridgewater's not making a lot of mistakes their defense is playing well I mean the, the outlier for the Vikings still is that week one game where Carlos Hyde and the Niners just ran roughshod all over them like that that has been the exception rather than the rule right. of this if, team I mean obviously the hindsight is twenty twenty, but if they've if there's a different result there they're tied with Green Bay right now atop the division next week Green Bay could go or plays at Carolina in what could be you know, still undefeated Carolina team, depending on what happens uh, in tonight's game. But if they beat the Rams next week, Green Bay loses to to Carolina. All of a sudden, that that division is somewhat up for grabs. I think obviously Green Bay is still a much better team than Minnesota, but they certainly didn't look the part on Sunday night. No, no, they did not. And on the Bears side of this one, the big news though is Matt Forte leaving with what could be a pretty serious knee injury. We'll get an update later today the Bears are saying they don't think it's a torn ACL but if even if it's a an MCL injury at this point if it's like grade two or something along those lines that could cost him four to six weeks and with you know the season being kind of in the second half now they may have to think about using an IR spot on him just to, to rest him up for next season I mean they're two and five so they don't have that much incentive to bring him back and unless they think they can start winning here in the near future good news for them Elshon Jeffrey continues to look healthy and productive 10 for 116 and a score but 
there's going to be a lot of guys available on the waiver wire this week who could make an impact in the near future. I mean, Jeremy Langford, I was stashing him away on draft day just in case something happened to Forte during the preseason early part of the year. Now it could pay off. I, I just wonder if the Bears' defense is good enough to keep games close. I think there's going to be a lot of games they play, they get blown out, they abandon the run, and then you're going to have high volume for Jay Cutler, but you're going to have limited opportunities for Langford or Forte if he does make it back. Right, and with Forte out, you know, that moves Kadeem Carey, one rung up. Obviously not a guy that you want to go out and spend a lot of fab on, but, you know, he's now the, he's now the primary backup option. So if, if you find yourself in situations with buys or with, with injuries uh, and you have to make a spot start, he becomes at least not the worst possible option. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, you, you, you just don't really know how much you can trust this Bears team to keep things close enough where it's not just Jay Cutler throwing the ball 45 times. Um, they're at San Diego next week and then they're at St. Louis after that. So two games you'd think would they be able to keep relatively close. San Diego's been kind of on and off. Obviously, the, the win lo- wins and losses maybe haven't reflected how good that offense has been at times. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Adrian Peterson got over 100 yards, 45th career game with 100 yards. That ties Tony Dorsett for 12th all-time. Looking at the list, he could be as high as 8th by the end of the season, which is pretty impressive. I mean, I, obviously, it depends how he... You know, how his career turns out and how his health turns out going forward, but you know, kind of continues to climb up record boards like this. Fred Taylor, 49 games of at least 100 yards. He's, he's kind of the guy. He sits in eighth place. I think he's the guy that, uh, that Peterson could pass with just four more, or I guess five more to pass, five more 100-yard games on the season. So that, maybe that's a little bit to ask with nine games left, but certainly doable. Do you think Fred Taylor belongs in the Hall of Fame? Yes. I'm extremely biased, but yes. <laughs> I just I just want to get your thoughts. If Jerome on Bettis that. is in the Hall of Fame, well, Fred you Taylor can't be in the Hall you of can't Fame. take the guy that people, I mean, like Bettis is likable because he's the bus or whatever, but that's the extent to which we should remember him, not for being a Hall of Fame back. Like just because he's in there and doesn't belong in there, doesn't mean we should start putting other guys in who don't belong in there either. Yeah, Fred Taylor definitely doesn't have the nickname benefit. <laughs> his Football Reference list his nickname as Fragile Fred. That, that, that's his <laughs> official Pro Football <laughs> Reference nickname. That's terrible. I feel yeah. awful for him. I, don't know, I mean, eleven thousand yards in his career. I think I think it's over eleven thousand yards. Just rushing yards? Or are we yeah, talking 11, yards from scrimmage? Eleven thousand six hundred ninety-five rushing yards, sixty-six hmm. rushing touchdowns, over twenty-three hundred receiving yards. He's I don't really 15th know what fifteenth all time. I yeah, mean, like, it's, listen to the list ahead of him: Emmitt Smith, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Curtis Martin, Ladanian Tomlinson, who will be a Hall of Famer. Oh yeah, Jerome Bettis. Eric Dickerson, Tony Dorsett, Jim Brown, Marshall Falk, Edron James. That, that's 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 exactly it, though. Edge isn't going to get in. Taylor's not going to get in, too. Same era, same kind of situation. Yeah. Two guys that got a little banged up. Careers weren't quite as long. If they'd played two more years at average productivity, they probably would both be in. But they're both going to fall short. The other guys yeah. ahead of them, Fred Taylor, Marcus Allen, Franco Harris, Thurman Thomas, all in the Hall of Fame as well. So he's he's going to be like that cutoff line. Corey Dillon's kind of in that group. Steven Jackson's in that Marshall group. Do you think Marshall Falk gets in? Falk's in. He is in. Oh, he is in? Yeah. Okay. Well, Fred Taylor had nine more games of 100 yards than Marshall Falk. I mean, obviously, that's not the only benchmark to measure running backs by. Falk was a great receiver, though. Yeah, great, that's true. Great that's, weapon in their passing game. That yeah. I, I think Marshall Falk belonged, belongs in there. Like that's, yeah. that's legit. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help that those Jacksonville teams weren't always the greatest, you know, as far as team success, but... Yeah, it'll be, it's an interesting case, if nothing else. I mean, Taylor retired in 09, so it's 
eligibility should be there, I believe. Yeah, I think I think he's eligible. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if he sneaks in. It's interesting that you can sort. Football Reference allows you to look at teams' records. You know when a player does anything, basically. But um, you look back at some of these guys, like Thurman Thomas's Bills teams were forty-three and three in games where he rushed for a hundred yards. That's yeah. crazy. He was on some good. I mean, the four straight Super Bowls, right. even though they didn't win any of those four. Like those were really good, dominant Bills teams. Mm-hmm. I remember watching those, and that's when I was kind of like first old enough to remember watching games. They were strong every single year. Just amazing to go four times and and to not come away with the ring. I can, I mean, that's that's almost something that gets passed over. I think when you talk about you know painful losses or, you or know, dynasties wins even or dynasty i mean that's that's fantastic it, like to go four years in a row you have to have a great team to go four consecutive yeah, seasons it's unbelievable really and but you also have to have some major issues to lose four in a row we may never see that again though no i don't think so it's i mean it's, it's think of how hard it is to get to two in a row let alone three in a row and then let alone four in a row. i mean that really is obscene it it truly is so I, i'm still i'm looking at this fred taylor thing and has, has his number been retired by the jags yet I believe so. Okay, so he's in the Ring of Honor or the, the Jag yeah, of Fame yeah. or whatever they call it's it. It's Jag of Fame, yeah. Jag of Fame, all right. <laughs> all right, fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in Week 9. DraftKings will be hosting yet another Millionaire Maker event, this time $1 million. Goes to first place. Go to DraftKings.com now. Enter the promo code ROTOWIRE. That'll allow you to play free with your first deposit on DraftKings.com. Again, that promo code is ROTOWIRE. That'll give you free entry now with your first deposit on DraftKings. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, let's get back to breaking down each of the games in week eight. We now go to Baltimore where it was Ravens 29, San Diego Chargers 26. Another close loss for San Diego. Um, And what was sort of a must-win game for Baltimore. You know, I think at this point in the season, sitting with only two wins at two and six, they're probably out of it. There's two very good teams in that AFC North that are head and shoulders above them at this point. But you know, at least able to stop the bleeding temporarily here and for what's been a very disappointing season. Joe Flacco, 25 of 37, 319 yards and a touchdown. Joe Flacco also rushed for a touchdown on this one, two yards on four carries, a big day on the ground for him. Justin Forsett, 69 yards on 17 carries. Big news for Baltimore, uh, another hit to what's maybe now the most depleted uh, and sad receiving core in the league, Steve Smith done for the year with a torn ACL awful he torn Achilles yeah he oh, yeah, I mean me, Achilles. look at Steve Smith and it's like he was already playing with fractures in his back just to, just to finish his last season which a lot of guys in his position probably would have said I'm done put me on IR just call it a year Kamar Aiken sort of becomes the number one receiver again by default Gross. maybe I saw like you probably got to go pick him up if he was cut in your league and you're scrambling at receiver and a lot of people may be just given all the injuries and there's six teams on by coming up in week nine too so it's going to be a fab bloodbath again. Crockett Gilmore scored in this one. Two catches, eight yards, four targets, but a TD. Uh, maybe some down-ballot consideration for a waiver-wire tight end pickup. Should get more looks now with Smith down. On the Chargers side, Melvin Gordon's getting the volume, Nick. 18 carries for 54 yards, a robust three yards carry. I still blame the Chargers' offensive line. It's just not a very good run-blocking unit right now. It's good to see Gordon getting that much more of the work, though, than the other two backs around him. Six targets, too, but he only caught five passes for seven yards. So it's just... Like, was he just getting immediately smeared every time he caught the ball? Yeah, like, I think every time they decided to dump it off to Gordon, it was because it's like the Tecmo Super Bowl effect when the defense picks the same play as the offense. Again, you're not a Nintendo guy, so you may not be familiar with this game. So Tecmo Super Bowl was a pretty cool game. Came out, and you had eight plays, four run plays, 
and four pass plays, and they're all on the screen at once, just like Madden, where you can like choose. So if you hit like up and B or down and A, it'd give you a different play, and it would tell you which play corresponded to which combination. The defense in that game also picks a play on the screen, and if they pick the same play you do as an offense, they get an automatic all-out blitz where all their players are just way faster, and they can just blow through the line, and you got to make a really quick decision if you're throwing it. If you're running, you're lucky to get back to the line of scrimmage. So there's a 12.5% chance on a given play that you're going to get just destroyed. That's what was happening every single time they threw it to Melvin Gordon. It's an awesome game, by <laughs> that's, the way. that's what it's like to watch the 49ers. Yeah. Right oh, yeah. And watching Peyton Manning even last night, there were a few throws he made that reminded me of Tecmo Super Bowl. When your quarterback is in bad physical condition in that game, his arm accuracy often just dwindles, and he just launches balls like 10 or 15 yards too far. Manning did that a couple times last night. Like I was having flashbacks to my childhood throughout the day yesterday. Watching Manning is funny because his throwing motion looks the same to me as it always has been. He throw like his arm moves just as quickly, and you know everything looks the same. But the ball just like is dis- like the speed of the ball and the track of the ball is like disproportionate to how hard it looks like he's throwing it. It seems like he's throwing with more loft though. Like he's right. he's kind of like angling the throw differently. Like yeah. he used to have the zip to where he could just throw a straight line, and now he has to just go up and over defenders a lot more. Right, often. but it, but it looks like coming off his hand, it looks like it should be a line drive, and like the trajectory of the ball just sails so much more. And, and I mean, the accuracy has been there, and credit to Demarius Thomas and, and guys like uh, Emmanuel Sanders who've been making a lot of catches, kind of in space and going up and getting some balls, but. I mean, he was able to slice through that defense last night. A lot of crossing patterns, a lot of wide-open guys over the middle, and you know, we'll get to that game in a little bit, but a, a pretty sad showing from, from both phases of the game we, for we, Green we, Bay. We may not get to that game in a little bit. No? I, I might dump my coffee on the soundboard before we get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, anything, anything else from this uh, Baltimore-San Diego game? Keenan Allen uh, didn't play in the second half as, as his injury issues continue to mount but he did have a, a touchdown in the first half five catches 35 yards so still got some decent value there Malcolm Floyd two touchdown receptions uh for San Diego but yeah I mean like we said the big story is, is Steve Smith going down for Baltimore and really at this point it's you know Flacco and and Kamar Aiken and Justin Forsett are the, really the only like guys in this offense that hold much fantasy value at all I'm totally with you there and the other thing that's kind of surprised me is Antonio Gates played and actually played a decent amount after missing a lot of practice time with that knee injury targeted six times caught four balls for 56 yards probably in part because Ladarius Green left this game after the first quarter with an ankle injury so Gates sort of just forced into Mm -hmm. perhaps a larger role than the uh, Chargers had planned Bengals 16 Pittsburgh 10 this is an exciting game despite being relatively low scoring I think uh, Pittsburgh obviously is a much different team with Ben Roethlisberger at the helm although he didn't really play that well had a couple costly mistakes down the stretch in this one he finished 28 of 45 262 yards a touchdown but three picks Andy Dalton two picks of his own uh, it looked like he had kind of reverted back to old Andy Dalton uh, late in this game but still able to lead a drive uh, where Cincinnati scored 10 points in the fourth quarter to come back and win this one 231 yards and a touchdown for Dalton with those two picks Interesting running breakdown for both of these teams, and, and for two different reasons. Pittsburgh obviously lost Le'Veon Bell in this one. He was at 10 carries for 45 yards, along of just seven, though, uh, before getting hurt. They think he hasn't torn his ACL. It was one of those plays that you know you could maybe go either way. You wouldn't be surprised if he tore his ACL, but you also wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. Sounds like right now they're hoping it's an MCL injury, but there's also been rubblings that he could already land on IR. Yeah, it doesn't look good for Le'Veon Bell. It's going to be at least a few weeks, if not the rest of the season. D'Angelo Williams has run well when called upon, and having Roethlisberger back, I think, gives their offense so much more balance. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, obviously losing Bell is huge, and there's nobody that really can replace him in the league other than one or two guys, but 
you could do much, much worse than having D'Angelo Williams step in. Pretty savvy pickup by the Steelers in the offseason, too, because you're talking about a team that really didn't need to invest a lot on the surface, and, and it's back up running back. But Williams has looked better than he has really in the last couple of seasons with Carolina, so pretty nice surprise there. Heath Miller seems to be relevant again, maybe in part because Roethlisberger can't move around in the pocket long enough for some of the downfield routes to develop. He looked really immobile in this one. The Bengals' pass rush seemed to be able to get to him with relative ease. I know he only had the three sacks, but he didn't have a lot of time throughout the day. Cincinnati's defense looks pretty good. Uh, just 5.8 yards per attempt for Roethlisberger in his return. Antonio Brown, though, 11 targets, 6 catches, 47 yards, and a score. Really encouraging sign there. Martavis Bryant was targeted 9 times. But Heath Miller, Heath Miller of the waiver wire, 10 for 105 on 13 targets. I'm sure there's going to be another mad dash to go pick up Heath Miller. Again, six teams on by this week. Someone out there is going to be looking for a tight end. I think he was available in my two tight end league very briefly, but someone may have snatched him up already. Otherwise, I'd, I'd go after him. I think in a league, if you're in a 12-team league that starts two tight ends, he's good enough in that offense to probably be in the bottom four tight ends most week. Did you watch the end of this game at all? Yeah, it was... It was, it was Pittsburgh a, had a chance. I mean, they're down 16-10 to 10 with a minute 47, I think, was the time left. And they're starting at their own 20. Got all the way down to the Cincinnati 16 with, with four seconds left, so time to run one play. And Roethlisberger had time on that last play and ended up just placing a ball out of the end zone that wasn't catchable. Yeah, it's really kind of uh, surprising to see the Steelers flop in this one. And give the Bengals credit for finding a way to grind it out and win on the road on a day where Dalton didn't have his recent form he had like his b game maybe b b to I, I thought i was a little worse than that but i think this is a good point that, that came up on twitter it was made by paul sporer uh mostly of like baseball writing fame but when andy dalton plays poorly the masses pile on as quickly as they do on any player like this, everyone is so quick to say well he's back to being old andy dalton it, it, it is pretty weird because prior to this week he looked elite so Everyone's going to have bad games from time to time. We'll talk about the Packers in a little bit. I mean, it just happens. Like, once in a while, you just have a day where you're off. And I, I think the weapons in Cincinnati are so good, and they're so healthy right now. Maybe it doesn't stay that way all season. You still have two competent backs, even though Gio Bernard had one carry in this game. I don't know what to make of that. I think we're going to find out that he's dealing with some kind of injury or something because that just doesn't make sense. Uh, Tyler Eifert looks a lot like Gronk. I mean, he, he made a catch in that fourth quarter when Cincinnati went to tie the game or to take the lead uh, like over the middle, just a leaping, like you said, like a catch you really only see from tight ends like Gronk. Yeah, he's he's a special player. I, I think people, people haven't necessarily pushed his value up quite as high as it should be. He's kind of in that Barnage-Kelsey range right now. He might be the best of that trio. It's in the Barnage range. The Barnage-Kelsey range. Which is range. somehow like a, a big compliment. That's a huge compliment right now. But Eifert, I think, is the, the best of that tier of three. Um, kind of behind Gronk and a guy that, that maybe could eventually someday perhaps push Gronk to, to be the best tight end in the league. I think that's the, the ceiling that we're talking about there. But a big game from A.J. Green, 11 catches, 118 yards, and a score on 17 targets. Really nice to see him have a big game because he's been a little bit up and down this year. Did have a long TD that was called back because of a penalty against Seattle. If you add that to his season numbers, He'd be having a pretty typical AJ Green year, so I don't really, I'm not too worried about him. I just wonder if he's going to lose out a few TDs over the course of the year because they have so many other options to throw to right now. Yeah, that's been the thing for me is that there's just been other there's been other options in this offense. Marvin Jones has had a couple of decent weeks. This week wasn't one of them, but you know, he's emerged as a pretty solid number two. They still have Muhammad Sanu could do worse as a number three, and you know with as involved as Jeremy Hill and especially Gio Bernard have been in this passing game, I think it's just a matter of. You know, Green not getting quite the targets load that we're used to, but 
that wasn't the case this week. 17 targets, 11 catches, 118 yards. I think he he's firmly in that top tier for me uh, as far as talent goes. And you know, when when the volume is there, I don't know if there's you know maybe two or three other guys you take over him. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's an elite receiver, and and just maybe not getting the volume of Hopkins and Julio Jones and guys like that, but certainly uh, someone who brings just as much talent to the table. My goal, looking at the, what's left of the games to talk about, I don't want to spend more than a minute on any of these remaining four games. These games were all miserable games for me. That's fair, and we'll start with arguably the most miserable. Tennessee 6, Houston 20. I'm telling you, my, my Vegas bet on that Tennessee under is looking real good right now. That's their sixth straight loss uh, since that big opening night, or I guess opening day, uh, win over Tampa Bay when Marcus Mariota went off. It's pretty much been a free fall since then. Zach Mettenberger made his second straight start. 22 of 31, 171 yards and a pick. I mean, nothing special there, certainly, but uh, not a terrible game. Brian Hoyer, 23 of 35, 235 yards, two touchdowns for him. Chris Polk, 18 yards. Alfred Blue, 39 yards. As Houston really didn't get much going on the ground, but they didn't really need to. Tennessee uh, really couldn't move the ball much at all. DeAndre Hopkins, eight catches, 94 yards and a touchdown. Nate Washington also got in the end zone for Houston. I don't like this Tennessee team at all. I think I think with or without Mariota, the weapons just really aren't there right now. Sorry, Titans fans. But Pretty I, hot take, if, I know. If I could fold a team, the Titans would be the one I would just get rid of right now. Yeah, oh, me too. I hate the Titans. I, I don't hate any teams in sports, I don't think. like I have a very hard time. Like I'm not like somebody who just despises the Cardinals or despises the Bears as you know being in Wisconsin. But like the Titans are just the team for me as a, as a rival of the Jaguars. And we all know, we all know what happened. In Deep-seated the, rivalry. Oh yeah, I mean that that I think it was the '99 or 2000 AFC title game where the Titans went on to play the Rams in the Super Bowl. We all know that was Jacksonville's year. Every single time I see the Titans on TV highlights, in game, whatever, I just think, why are you here? Like, why are you a team? Why do you exist? Every single time, the bad uniforms, team, bad coaching, bad everything. Like, I, I feel bad for the fans of that team who were probably really excited to have an NFL team there, and you know they had the the run with Steve McNair for a few years where they were an interesting team. Even even the, the good Vince Young year, they were they were kind of interesting then. They've gone through this lull of the just good being year. the good year. They've been just a disaster since. Like I, I guess truthfully, if I could only fold one team, I would fold the Redskins on principle. They're gonna say the Jaguars. No, 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 no. The Jags are safe. I love. I like the Jags. Duval, probably one of the twelve best franchises in the league right now. Yeah, they have a pool. They do. Not no no other team can say that besides the Arizona Diamondbacks, right? Right. So, so top, one top twelve, <laughs> top twelve status right now for the Jags, uh, but man, uh, this was ho- this was a horrible game. It was DeAndre Hopkins. How about the AFC South else? overall? I, I think we can crown the AFC South America's division. Every team currently under five hundred. Best point differential right now, and this is before Indianapolis has even played against undefeated Carolina tonight. Is the Colts at negative twenty seven? No other division in football has two teams has more than two teams. Uh, under with with negative point differentials, AFC South all four well into the negatives. Indianapolis could be you know into the negative forties by the end of it uh, Monday night. The one in six Titans could be one and a half games out of first place if Indianapolis loses tonight. That would mean the Jaguars are just a half game out of first place. Jeez. Um, yeah, so just a lot to love about the AFC South. And like we, I think we joked last year, this was the NFC South was basically in this position last year, but that was just more. I think there was more parity. It was. It wasn't like the teams in the NFC South were as bad as these four AFC South teams are. I thought when you said the AFC South was America's division that you were going to say it's the most obese division in the NFL. I thought that's what you were going to go with. No, I think it's just it's just a complete crapshoot every single week. Like I don't 
I, I was like 100% sure the Colts were going to win this division to start the season, and I'm still like 90% sure. But, I mean, I, it, it wouldn't really shock you with the way the Colts have looked. Like, if they, if they suffer, like, a bad loss on, on Monday night and something happens with Pagano, like, there's already been rumblings of, of internal, uh, you know, issues between the owner and the GM, um, you know, it, it's not hard to see this team free-falling, especially if Andrew Luck continues to be banged up. And it's, we don't want to talk too much about the AFC South, I guess, just for, you know, people's well-being overall. But it's, it's becoming a joke. And it's hard to see any of these teams, like, turning things around drastically other than Indianapolis. And even even there, it's it's a dysfunctional franchise where front office, head coach, and team all seem like to be Pagano, on different pages. If Pagano's not fired during the regular season, he has to win the Super Bowl or he's getting fired. He has to win. Even, he has to win a playoff game to keep his job. I think if he I wins, he has to get to the Super Bowl. You might be right because the GM doesn't like him unless the GM is going to be out. I don't think the, I don't think Jim Ursay likes Ryan Grigson though. So I think if I think they clean house. They probably clean house. That makes more sense. But I could also see them being so confused that they let the GM go, bring in a new GM, and then force that GM to keep the existing head coach if he wins a playoff game. If he doesn't win a playoff game, he's gone. Yeah, and that's the thing. is like one of these teams is going to sneak in uh, into the playoffs, and at that point, who knows what can happen. So, yeah, not a lot to like about the AFC South. Jets 20, Raiders 34. As you have here, rough weekend for both the Mets and the Jets fans. Obviously, Kansas City uh, ousting the Mets last night for the World Series. Ryan Fitzpatrick went out in the first series of this game, torn ligament in his thumb. Uh, that means the fans were cheated, to, cheated, treated, I should say, maybe more cheated. They were, to, no, they were, they were cheated. Uh, they were cheated to Geno Smith. Uh, he ended up getting hurt in this one too. Shoulder and abdomen issues was, was the listing there. But sweet feet, Geno Smith leads the Jets in rushing in this game. That's to make matters worse. For, for the fans of, of the Jets and the Mets, and I know this is definitely tertiary in the minds of these fans, the Hurricanes, Devils, and Sabres have defeated the Islanders over their last three games. The Islanders are on a three-game losing streak, including the two losses over the weekend on Saturday. I don't, I don't know the, the necessarily the breakdown. Like, are, are the, is there an overlap of like Islanders fans and Mets fans? Is that it how that works? It, it tends to be Mets, Jets, and Islanders, and then Yankees, Giants, Rangers. There's some. Okay. I mean, it doesn't always hold up that way, but that tends to be. Right. I know the Yankees, the Giants overlap. I, I don't know. I don't know the hockey at all. Like even even that's not going well. Like that's just a miserable way to be. Gino's playing. Gino gets hurt. Lovely. Gino gets hurt. I mean, that's that's what we're looking for. <laughs> Brandon Marshall's going to need some further tests on his ankle and his toe. Targeted 18 times, caught nine balls for 108 yards. I mean, what do you make of the Jets right now? I thought they were one of the better teams. In the AFC, I thought like their loss to New England wasn't that bad last week. I thought they were going to the playoffs. Well, the strength and now I'm rethinking team, it. The strength of this team has been the defense, and I, I think you would like to think that 20 points against the Raiders can get the job done on certain days. Certainly not every day. I mean, this Raiders offense is head and shoulders above what it's been for the better part of the last decade. But yeah, I mean, getting torched by Derek Carr in this one, and don't look now. Derek Carr has 15 touchdowns and three picks on the year. That's like Bortles esque. Well, Bortles has way more picks. Oh, well, I was thinking about the TDs. Yeah, I mean, the touchdowns are right up there with with anybody in the league. He's seven touchdowns, zero picks over the last two weeks. This Oakland team looked good. Imagine if Derek Carr and Gary Barnage were on the same team. Carnage. It'd be complete carnage. Barnage would go for 150 and three TDs every week. He'd score 48 touchdowns. Yeah, mathematically, yeah, I'm trying to check, double check that in my head, and like that seemed a little low at first, but yeah, I mean, looking at this from the Jets' perspective, if there's anything to take away fantasy wise, Brandon Marshall, 
Uh, he ended up getting hurt, ankle and toe injuries. A lot of injuries around the league this week, a lot of serious injuries to star players. But 108 yards, nine receptions, didn't get in the end zone, but was targeted 18 times. He's now over 100 yards in five of seven games this season, 500-yard games, leads the NFL. And, Derek, he's only one of six players with at least 13 100-yard games since the start of 2013. I don't know if you've looked at this list yet, but if not, can you name those players? Ooh, uh, I cannot name those players. You can't? Just tap it out right away? Well, no. Luckily, I have them here for you. Demarius Thomas, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, and Calvin Johnson. So I feel like mm-hmm. Brandon Marshall's not often mentioned with those guys, uh, but a pretty elite company to be in. Yeah, cheaper than those guys in, in drafts. You look back right. at the ADP from, from this summer, and I, I think part of it was the injury from last year was probably a factor. Right, I mean, you looked yes. at you looked at the health for Marshall that slowed him down throughout 2014, and and going to the Jets, a lot of questions as to whether uh, he'd be able to produce at those previous you know, 90 plus catch levels, uh, just because of the quarterback play there. But so far, quarterback play has been okay. Now, the, the only good news with Fitzpatrick having the thumb injury is that it's his non-throwing hand. But even still, it's, it's tough for him to grip the ball. So I don't know what the Jets are going to do. At quarterback going into week nine because is Kellen Clemens still on the roster. I feel like he's he's o- he's probably he's always on the roster. He's probably right? just a phone call away if he's not on the roster. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll certainly explore their options there. Kellen S- Clemens is on speed dial. <laughs> Seattle thirteen, Dallas twelve. I had, this was one of the more puzzling results of the weekend. I think a disappointing showing from the Seattle offense. Uh, Russell Wilson nineteen of thirty, two hundred ten yards, a touchdown and a pick. Wasn't sacked in this game. That's obviously been one of the bigger issues for Seattle. Um, but just a tough day uh, all around offensively for both of these teams. Dallas gets four field goals, Seattle three field goals, uh, and a touchdown. Actually, two field goals, excuse me, and a touchdown, uh, including a Steven Hauschka 24-yarder with just over a minute left that ended up sealing this game. Dallas got the ball back uh, with, I think it would have been right around a minute, and basically the game ended on a play in which Matt Castle was facing a fourth and 21 from his own 29. Good times. Uh, so this game, I knew this game was gonna be bad. Like I knew these teams would play a boring game. I so thought I, Seattle would rough them up a little bit more. I thought I thought Seattle could win by ten, and yeah, thirteen twelve was was rough. But I used this time to make three pans of lasagna. I, I was just showing off my range all weekend. You know, the, the Houndmouth show, the Zed show, three pans Cooking. of lasagna. I mean, yeah, it, I, I had to avoid spending three hours only watching this game right if I spent three hours watching this game because it was running with the Jets and, and Raiders and I mean who wants to watch that when when the Raiders are are going nuts other than Raiders fans I didn't want to sit there on Twitter for three hours and and just having my eyes jumping from screen to screen watching these two teams and, and looking at the tweets about it I thought I'm gonna do something productive so I was very productive I made three lasagnas did you eat all three no. Um, Are you doing the weight loss challenge still? Is that still a thing? Yeah, you, you can't tell. Like I'm, I'm, I'm looking a little more trim yeah, little these spelt. days. Yeah, I look a little better. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm actually losing weight though. I mean, eating. I didn't eat all three pans of lasagna. Yeah, muscle but, weighs more than fat. Well, that's the key. Like I'm, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to bulk up. I'm trying to bulk up for my next EDM show, so I can be <laughs> one of the shirtless people in the crowd. <laughs> oh god that's right. not good for anybody yeah well that's enough on the seattle dallas game and i think that might be the quote of the podcast I'm trying to bulk up for my next edm show <laughs> green bay 10 denver 29 you have written here let's please skip this game uh i wrote seriously what the hell happened uh, i think both of those can accurately sum up the the mindset of most green bay fans after this one it, it's hard to say the the packers i mean they did play badly but it was it was more of just a 
they couldn't get anything going. You know, it's not like they were giving the game away by any means. It just they, they couldn't sustain drives on offense. They were giving up big plays on defense and just a really, really surprising showing for a team that I think had only one loss in the Rodgers-McCarthy era coming out of a bye. Here's what really chapped me in this game. The punt, late punt in this game from the Green Bay 38. I know it was 4th and 17, but this came with, what, five, six minutes to go? I mean, there there was really very little time left in the game. And Mike McCarthy decides, oh, it's 4th and 7. At the, yeah, it was, it was seven minutes to go in the fourth. Fourth and seven at the Green Bay 32. They punted, down 19. Why are you punting there? I, I do always wonder that. This happens in a lot of games you know, that you see each week. Is I think the coach tries to find the balance between, you know, do we want to make this worse and get blown out, you know, let them tack on at least another field goal, maybe another touchdown, or do we want to you know, just kind of pack it in and, and mitigate this loss? I mean, a field goal wouldn't have done anything for the Broncos, right? Because no. it was a three-possession game already anyway. I mean, the game was over, to be fair. But like, I, I, I agree with you. As somebody who's uh, in favor of taking those kind of risks, I think, why not? There's only seven minutes to go. So, okay, you go for it on fourth and seven at your own 32. Let's just say you, you come up short or you incomplete pass, like a reasonably likely scenario. Denver takes over at your 32 with seven minutes to go. If you hold them to a field goal... They're only going to run a few plays before they kick it. They're not going to take as much time off the clock. If you punt it and they get even one or two first downs, they're going to run three-plus minutes off the clock. So even if you do get it back, there's going to be a significant difference in the amount of time left in the game. I, I just I don't understand that. Like At that point, the game was over. I started doing the dishes from all the lasagna I made because I'm like, okay. That's, the, that's usually when you know. McCarthy's, McCarthy is waving the white flag. He's punting. From his own 32 on 4th and 7, down 19 with 7 minutes to go. That's it. The, game, the game's over because 3 plays, a 3 and out from Denver, brings it down to 5 minutes. And you, you, had, you had to score 3 times in 5 minutes against that defense? It's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, looking, looking at the team comparison in this game is pretty staggering numbers. I mean, we've seen this time and time again. The volume just hasn't been there for Green Bay. Even in, obviously, this is their first loss of the season. Even in games they've won, the time of possession hasn't gone their way. They're, you know second or bottom half of the league in, in total plays and in play differential. Total yards, Denver 500, Green Bay 140. Same number of drives. Um, you know, Green Bay only had uh, that, that one turnover, I guess you could call it the safety, and that doesn't even count as a turnover in the official books. So, I mean, a very, a very disappointing. It seemed like the, the – I don't know if the playbook was a little bit limited last night or if – if the pressure just got to Rodgers, the, the, the pressure of that Denver defensive line, I mean, just 22 attempts. You have the best quarterback in the game, and he's attempting 22 passes. Well, they couldn't move the ball, so I, think I mean, that helps. That just takes away the number of snaps right off the top. But one thing I, I really was surprised by was how quiet Devontae Adams was. Aqib Tlaib is a big physical corner, a guy that can jam you up at the line of scrimmage and really limit your ability to even get release and, and get open. I mean, Adams was targeted twice. James Jones targeted twice in this one. Randall Cobb, nine targets, six catches, 27 yards, getting some volume, but never having any space whatsoever. I mean, give Wade Phillips and the Denver defense a lot of credit because you never see Green Bay's offense sputter like this. Eddie Lacy looked a little healthier, 11 for 38. Starks only had the five carries for nine yards, so it seems like Lacy has pushed his way back closer to the top 15 running backs again. On the Denver offensive side, I mean, Demarius Thomas doing Demarius things. Quiet night for Emmanuel Sanders. That seems a little bit fluky. Manning looked better, but still 
not quite right. I mean, Green, Green Bay's defense really just had some some surprising issues. They were just a second late on everything. They, it were, they were they were late, and there were a couple tight end screens and things Denver did that I think were pretty creative and pretty smart. Uh, and the injuries at, at, uh, at corner. Sam Shields went down, and they lost one of their depth corners too. I think it was Rollins that went down at one point. That left them with really inexperienced corners on the field, and Manning's going to take advantage of that. I mean, it's not even necessarily because he has any of the, the tools he used to have physically, the arm strength, all that stuff's gone, but he's still a good decision maker. He's still going to be a guy that can exploit a player getting on the field in the regular season for the first time. I mean, most NFL quarterbacks can do that. Peyton Manning certainly could still do that. Yeah, I think this is another one of those games where we we see Green Bay missing Jordy Nelson as a deep threat, too. When you look at Aaron Rodgers, 3.5 yards per completion. Like, that's really been the issue throughout the season. It, you know, Cobb's been doing what he can do. Um, you know, James Jones has had a couple big completions. But for one, Rodgers hasn't really been willing to throw down the field quite as much um, unless it's a free play situation. Then that kind of seems to be the only time that he's really willing to unleash that. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is maybe can be attributed to coverage or guys just not getting open. But you know, that, that's somewhat, such a big part of this Green Bay offense was that it was a quick strike through the air uh, type of team last year, and that just hasn't been the case at all without Jordy Nelson. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that I think many people look at and say, well, maybe he's only this good because he plays with Aaron Rodgers, but uh, I think we're seeing now just how much he brings to the table as that deep threat. Right. They haven't found a guy at tight end really to replace Jermichael Finley yet either. I think the hope was that Richard Rodgers would be that guy, but that's something for the last season and a half now that they've missed. I think people overlook that a little bit, at least in, in terms of what they've done in the red zone, and they spent pretty much no time in the red zone last mm-hmm. night other than the Lacey TD, which he nearly fumbled afterwards, too. Yeah. So it was it was a pretty rough night. I mean, they, they were getting con- the Denver defense was getting constant pressure. Uh, receivers weren't getting any separation, and Denver was running it at will. I mean, C.J. Anderson averaged more than seven yards per carry in this one. Ronnie Hillman scored twice. Hillman got the start and had more carries, but Anderson looked better. I think if I'm making a move right now, I'm going after Anderson because I think he's going to take the job back from Hillman. That turf toe injury he was dealing with maybe is healed up a bit after that bye week. Hillman, to me, just isn't that dynamic of a runner, and I think that was on full display last night. So coming up this two TD games, this is a great time to try to move him if you profited from that game. Yeah, and you know, last final note from this game. First of all, it was pretty much over. Like two or three minutes in, to the second quarter, Denver went up 17-0, and maybe at the time it didn't seem like it, but in hindsight, that was really the dagger shot kind of for, for Denver. Green Bay was able to get it yeah. to 17-10. At one point, Denver comes right back with a touchdown, and then you know things really unraveled with that safety. Rodgers hit right near the goal line. Richard Rodgers made quite the play to recover the ball and looked like he could have gotten up and got out of the end zone, ended up falling down. But actually, I believe the rule is on a fumble backwards like that, he wasn't able to advance it. Uh, I don't know the official rule, but I think there were people talking on Twitter about that. A couple of writers noted that you know, even if he would have gotten up, it would have been flagged and it was going to be a safety no matter what. Well, McCarthy probably wanted him to just stay down anyway so they could get rid of the ball. That would be my guess. <laughs> Intentional safety? They were, is that what they're running, the safety raid? They're just like, we got to get out of here. We, we can't expose yeah. Rodgers to this pass rush anymore. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you hear after games like this, you know, good team facing good team, possible future playoff. Obviously, they could only meet in the Super Bowl. Uh, matchup and you know sometimes you hear oh you know team gets down early they start limiting the playbook they don't want to give away too much I mean do you think that was at all the case you know Roger you know maybe McCarthy went ultra conservative in the second half or the Denver defense just deserves all the credit he got flat out out coached I mean yeah Capers and McCarthy and Tom Clements got owned by Gary Kubiak and Wade Phillips yeah 
Yeah, fewest games, fewest yards in a game, I should say, for Aaron Rodgers since taking over as a starter. That includes games that he was not, or excludes games that he was knocked out of due to injury. But yeah, probably not going to see another seventy odd yard performance uh, from Aaron Rodgers this season. We'll talk quickly about the Monday night game, Philadelphia at Carolina. So back to back home night games for Carolina. Kind of a, a nice little scheduling perk that they get. So national TV game. Panthers looking to stay undefeated. They can take a one-and-a-half game lead in the AFC South after that Atlanta loss. Carolina is 11-1 when Jonathan Stewart rushes for 100 yards. So I think getting that ground game is going to be key. They're currently six-point favorites at home. How do you like that line? I think Philly can keep it a little closer than that just because Philly has a decent enough run defense where maybe they can control Stewart. And the- They're like the Giants to me, though. Like I wouldn't be shocked if they... If they came out and dominated this game, I wouldn't be shocked if they came out and lost this game. Yeah, the outright, the outright win, like win, they could win by ten or lose by twenty, and yeah. either way, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. sure, that makes sense because Eagles. Yep, exactly. I don't know. I, I, I think in my pick'em league, I'm going Carolina with a few confidence points, maybe eight or nine, but I don't know what to expect here. I think there's still that reservation on this Carolina team just because they don't have, you know, that Seattle win is a signature win. Other than that, uh, you know, some pretty reasonably questionable. Uh, strength of schedule and I think Philadelphia kind of falls in that category too but I mean this would certainly do do a lot for their national perspective I think yeah it would be one of those wins that would make the resume look better and then of course they get the Packers coming up in week nine also at home so uh, very curious to see what Carolina looks like tonight against this Eagles defense and also want to see if the Eagles can start to find some consistency in their passing game because they've been all over the map this year I know Jordan Matthews is playing with that hand injury and that's been attributed uh, for a lot of the drops he's had this year so we'll see if that's something that gets a little bit better here on Monday night oh they're playing the Colts oh it, it, why did it, I think the Eagles why I don't, I don't know Philly's why off did I week. write Philly I don't I, I just I just bought it I just completely bought it yeah right. it I, is it is the Colts though because I've got a wow. league I got a league where I need Jeez. Kobe Fleener to catch some passes yeah which... I, and I need a big night out of Greg Olson wow I don't know what I was talking about there I, I must have just, I think <laughs> I was I was like looking at like the wrong week or something when I wrote that still in. still a Jeez. decent uh potential resume builder for Carolina okay yeah they played they played the Eagles last week what was I thinking yeah. I think that must that must have been left in here from the last podcast on Monday could be at the bottom. Anyway, that's my mistake. They're not playing the Eagles, so hopefully the Eagles get that pass game sorted out. <laughs> yes, hopefully. I don't want over the bye week. Hopefully um, they do. But does that change your opinion now? It, you know, Panthers are six-point favorites at home. I feel a lot more confident about them taking care of Indy than I do Philly for whatever reason. Yeah, no, I think it's because the Coles, they're just dysfunctional right now, as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. I think Carolina likely to win this game by a TD. I think the line's probably about right, as it often is, but I, I would expect that Carolina takes care of business in this one. and Maybe it's vulnerable to becoming a one-loss team against Green Bay, uh, coming off a bad performance on Sunday night going into next week. Yeah, I mean, that, that all of a sudden looks like a very intriguing match. But I think regardless of what happens tonight with Carolina, whether they win or not, I mean, it's going to be either undefeated Carolina versus one loss Green Bay or undefeated, or excuse me, one loss Carolina versus one loss Green Bay. So, yeah, in, very interesting stretch of the schedule for Carolina with these two big night games, and then they play host to Green Bay. So a third straight home game for Carolina, nice uh, scheduling virtue. And then they go at Tennessee after Green Bay. So, you know, even if they were to falter in one of these next two games or even both, uh, I think you still like their position as far as the AFC South or NFC South goes. Yeah, they should be in good shape right now, showing better form than the Falcons. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, we're brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code Rotowire when you make your first deposit on DraftKings. That'll get you a free contest entry today. 
Also, be sure to check out RotoWire free. You can do that. Uh, get a free 10-day trial to the website. Get access to everything that we offer for all sports. Just go to rotowire.com slash pod. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.